we have we have a bunch of you guys have not been here uh, the last couple of weeks, and so uh, just to fit you in really quickly, we've been picking up in this book of Ecclesiastes. Um, the 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 teacher has asked us to attend to, to, to for a moment to the rhythms of our world, a dawning day, and then a setting sun, and then the sun going running around the world, so I can get back to the start again, so I can dawn for the next day. And he's been weaving threads back and forwards going over the same ground again, but then back to this topic, then back to this topic, then this one. Uh, true wisdom literature style. You're meant to sort of spend a bit of time sucking on it. So it's sort of a little bit like... Oh, I didn't turn this one on. It's a little bit like the um, the uh, Lifesaver ice block that I got Lenny this morning at Woody's um, rice, uh, roller skating rink. You know, you, you get through one colour, but then you get to the next colour, but then you get through... Oh, hold on, the other colour's like back on the inside again. Now, apparently they do taste different according to Elena. I'm pretty sure they just taste like different coloured sugar, but she says that there's different colours, right? And so Ecclesiastes, there is definitely some different coloured, and it's not sugar, but there's some different flavours through it, and the, th- the, th- the different threads come up again. So that's what we're doing. Uh, and, I, and I'd encourage you, therefore, to actually, if you're not reading through Ecclesiastes, if you haven't at least had a crack at reading through bits of it, you won't, it won't work quite in the same way. It's one of those books, I mean, I'll say this about every single book we read, but please do grab it and have a read. See what's going on. Suck on that lolly. So enjoy that ice block and you'll, you'll just get the flavours and you'll, you'll really start to see what he's doing. Uh, so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to actually go pretty much through, bit, through the next bit of, uh, of Ecclesiastes. We're just going to be working through the text and as we get through the layers, we'll see the different topics and then, oh, we'll see where we're going back and forwards and going through it all. So let's kick off. We're going to start here in uh, four. Oh, sorry, the end of yeah, the end of three. End of three. All right. Now you may have noticed here. I saw something else under the sun in the middle there in that slide. You might have noticed that uh, that phrase. Anyone notice the phrase under the sun? Yeah, seen that a few, seen that a few times so far. Um, and, and there's a there's a real purpose to this because back in the day, their thoughts were that this realm here, the earthly realm, this is the fleshy realm, the dusty realm. That's where people are, animals are. And then the realm up there, they're not thinking exploding balls of gas. They're thinking they're the gods. That's what the planets are. And so under the sun isn't just the stuff that we know. It's it's the the, the stuff that we can see. And out there is is immensely unknowable for them. It's the realm of all the things that you can't know. And so our, our teacher here, he has been particularly examining the things that are under the sun, the realm of the seen, the observable, which is actually how he's done a lot of his arguing so far. And this is what makes wisdom literature a little bit different, right? Because he doesn't say, oh, remember what God said? Remember when he rescued us out of Egypt and God gave us this covenant and God, you know, he's not referencing God. He's just saying, well, look at how Jimmy lives. He doesn't do no work and he's broke. And look at this guy, he works hard. He's got heaps of, heaps of stuff. He's fine. It's, it's, it's wisdom literature. It's, it's looking at the world and seeing what you can see. And so far for this guy, what has mattered under the sun has been our approach to life. Do you, do you remember that last couple of weeks? The experiencer is just as important to determining how the experience is than, than what they're experiencing and, it's, and so we are to receive the times that we're given as a gift with an open hand, knowing that the gift could be gone today or tomorrow. But either way, as soon as I try and grab that bit of smoke, that bit of mist that's on my hand, and, oh, I like this bit, so I'm going to grab that, we lose it. And so instead of trying to secure gain, we receive the times with an open hand as a gift. But now here, we're about to get into something that's a little bit different 
This is a change in tack in Ecclesiastes. Here we get something that is just bad. This is bad. It doesn't matter how you face it. It is sad, not smoke. As if there was just something so bad that, that this sort of um, this live-in-the-moment method, you know, the mindfulness movement, the, the, the hey, be zen and just enjoy and, and, and have a great time with life, even the wise version of that that the teacher says, well, injustice, evil, abuse of power, well, just mindfulness and just, oh, just experience it. Well, that, that doesn't answer that, does it? Some things are just bad. And you notice that this is actually where his theology kicks back in again. He comes forward and he says, no, actually, God will judge. By the way, as I flick through these slides, this is just going to be going through the text. You're, going to, you're not going to, we're not skipping anything. We're just going to go through the verses. Um, and it requires an answer. Evil actually requires an answer from above the sun. You can't just good attitude and hard work your way out of evil. There's a time for every activity, the teacher says, including the activity of God entering and judging all the other activities. And this is a little hint at the conclusion of the book. So we're just going to preface that and leave it here because this is actually part of where the book ends up into. But when we get to real evil, the kinds of things that you or I just sit there and say, yeah, you know, all well and good this whole, yeah, I'll just receive it as a gift rather than, you know, work for gain and make things better. Sorry, Pete, that just doesn't cut it when we're talking about something this bad. The teacher is picking up on those things and he says, God will judge. Now, now he drops back out of orbit again, back into the orb, in, out of heavenly court, back under the sun, the realm of what we can see with the naked eye. And then he actually sort of questions what he said a second ago. Is there any evidence here, as we look around, that God will judge? We actually don't have any way of knowing. You see, the fate of the human beings is like that of the animals. They end up in the ground. Like you go to a funeral and I say, you know, well, you know, grandma's watching us from up on high, but how do you know that? Ever seen it? She ever come down and talk to you and peered in the sky? Like, you don't know. All dogs might be in heaven. You don't, you don't, dog, dogs might not be in the ground. How, how do you know? We don't have any way of knowing, he says. And this is the thing. He says, why the cover up? Or why didn't God give us any evidence that there actually is some eternity? It's, and, and his answer is actually quite reminiscent to last week. He says, God's holding a lot of stuff back, guys. You're not going to know everything. It's so that we'll recognize we're actually, there's some ways we are like the animals. We are just dust. And we can't see what's happening up there in the heavenlies. And so then he goes back and he's like, oh, okay, well, look, there's no advantage. There's no gain. So, well, there's nothing better than for a person to enjoy their work, receive the time of your life as a gift for however long or short God gives it. And he's back into, the, back into the, this mode again. And there's this cycle back into, well, all you can do really when all is said and done is gift versus gain. And you think, man, this guy, you know, he points out the holes in his theory, then he points out the holes in the holes in his theory, and then he's just back to, well, just, you know, just receive gift versus, just receive as a gift. Don't struggle for gain. When's the cycle going to end? Well, we're going to come back into it again. Now there's something bad again. Now the good verse gain isn't going to help you. It's unfaceable. Even with the gift of that wise attitude, the tears of the oppressed when they have no comforter. Have you watched someone hurt and you 
can't even comfort them and they, you know that they're alone. You try mindful exercises when you see that, says the teacher. It's the heart. There's a, um, there's a really bad comedian that I don't, rec- <laughs> I don't recommend you go and listen to any of him, a guy named Theo Vaughn. Um, and, um, but he, he strangely said one really, really wise thing, and he said, it's not so much do you have people. It's not so much do you have people. That's not the thing with loneliness. That's not the thing with being alone. It's does anyone have you? I was just like, whoa, yeah. When you're struggling as hard, it's not do you have anyone you could go talk to. Is there anyone out there looking out for you? And this is, this is the calamity that the teacher sees. This is the sadness that he goes so far as to say it's better off if that person has never lived. Verse 2. Man. And he's not receiving the times as a gift now, is he? There's some things that are that bad. Now, he pushes back on this, the other direction again. He pokes a hole even in this hole later on again in the book. But I just want to start throwing these out there so that later when we try and unpick them and see what's he doing by putting these things and counter things, we'll start to see it. I mean, he said pleasure is good, but then he says you can't secure pleasure, so don't try and secure pleasure, just, but just enjoy. But then, like, it's okay if you don't enjoy. But then wisdom's better than stupidity, because, of course, you know, you get better stuff out of it, but then you both end up dead, so it really doesn't matter. So you don't, you, wisdom's not better than stupidity. So do what you like, but know that God will judge everything, so don't just do what you like. So there's a time for crying, but, but you're better off being dead than being hurt and alone. See, there's... As we see what's going on in this Old Testament book, yes, there's a positive philosophy here about how to deal with life, but it's got real limits, doesn't it? And the interesting thing is that the teacher sees the limits to his own philosophy. He just doesn't have great answers yet. Life can be hard like that. Have you ever sort of, you come up with an approach to life and you think it's sort of working, then you come up to a point where you realise, oh, gee, actually, actually, I'm probably going to have to change. This isn't quite going to lead to where I want it to lead to. Well, the teacher's doing that, and yet he's seeing all of the problems as he goes along. Verse 4. The way of the world is envy, he says. Middle of that paragraph there. I saw that all the toil and all the achievement that everyone does, so that the, the CBD of Hobart, all the stuff that they're doing, all of the work out there on the farms, comes from one person's envy of another. The way of the world is envy, he says. And I don't just mean the obvious envy, you know, like the, you know, I, 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 the, the kind of, oh, I want to have a Ferrari or something like that. It's also the envy of, oh, I don't want to look too much less than them. I've got to sort of be just respectable enough to be accepted in their society. You have to look respectable. Not just, so when we think of envy, we don't, you might not think of yourself as an envious person, and yet do you sort of feel like, oh, I have to just dress a certain way, otherwise I won't be accepted if I because I'm actually envious of some of their things and of what they have, and so I'll work in order to just be acceptable. This too is meaningless, chasing after the wind. And then he has this little kind of poetic bit. Um, it's kind of a fun one because it actually uh, uses three different Hebrew words for hands. Now, I'm, I'm going off of another scholar's work on this. I've, I've tried to verify all of the bits of it, and I haven't finished all of them yet. But this is, I think he's right. So uh, here it says, fools, hold, fools fold their hands 
and ruin themselves. And the, uh, the sort of the, that means like this. So you fold your hands. So fool's just there and they're just like, yep, I'm not buying into this work business. <laughs> I'm not buying into this whole game of life. I'm just, no, I'm just going just gonna to sit around and, and I'm not going not gonna to do anything. Then the next set of hands is actually a different word again. Better one hand, and it's handful, but it's actually, this is, a, this is calf, this is an open hand. Better one handful, one open hand with peace, with rest. Than two handfuls, but this one is kofen, so it's a, this is different. This is where the hands close, whether than two handfuls grasping with toil and chasing after wind. They just tap out of the game. Like, like, yeah, of course life's hard. Of course it's tricky. Of course you're not going to know. Of course you're not going to have a philosophy to be able to handle everything. Of course you're not going to have an answer to a problem. But they don't, don't, don't mean to just tap out and just, oh, it's too hard. No. You can still enjoy life. You can still get in amongst the game. You can still actually work and live out of peace. It's possible. We're going to get to how as we go through. But of course... Just two-handed, just grabbing for what you can get. As he's been saying so far all the way through, isn't going to work for you either. Four, seven. If you're following with us, four, chapter seven. There's something that's really interesting that's just starting to develop here in chapter four. If you've, if you've got it open in front of you, you will really be able to see it, right? In chapter four, verse one, you've got these different characters who are relating to each other. The oppressed, the oppressor, and the comforter, even though the comforter is the absent. But actually, before this, we actually haven't had any characters interacting with each other. Have you noticed that? Like, it's all individualistic. This is just like, there's a guy, and it's like, well, what's his attitude like? There's a person, and it's like, well, what are they doing? Is it good or bad for them? Everyone's been individual. And yet, all of a sudden, we hit chapter four, and everything's relational. Everything's about partnerships, friendships, sisters, brothers. Um, four verse one, you've got those three different characters. Four verse four, you've got the Joneses, and the neighbors all trying to keep up with them. It's quite hard, Chris, I know. Um, and then four verse eight here, you've got a son and a brother and they're not there. And the absence of relationship is felt really, really hard. There was a man all alone, and he had neither son nor brother. And this bloke worked hard, but his eyes were not content with his wealth. Why? Because I ain't got no one. This is the opposite of Theo Vaughn's thing. He's not there lonely. He's not the, this is the opposite of chapter 4, verse 1, the, uh, the, the, the person who's been hurt by the powerful person and they've got no one who's got them. He's like, I've, I'm the powerful person. I've got money. I've done well. I've succeeded. But I've got no one to bless. I've got no one to look out for. I've got no one to, 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 nothing to, to, no one to give this to. No one to love. Will somebody find me somebody to love, if you like, Queen? There's a potential for work to be meaningful if I had someone to work for, if I had someone to give it to you, you know that f- Christmas. Do you remember the first time you gave someone a gift? You gave it, like it was your thing, and you grew up and you're like, you wanted to give it to them, and you were so excited that it seemed to give them joy, it seemed to change something for them. Jesus, you can always hear Jesus saying, it's more blessed to receive in and amongst this. You see, work just to win is a miserable, miserable business. Have, have, have any of you, has anyone watched Suits? 
little bit of suits. You know that, that whole mentality of the of the lawyer in the in and the and the investment banker in the in the Wall Street sort of scene, and and they the, the all of the drama in it is all about who wins. It's all about winning. Did you win? Oh yeah, I beat you. And the money is just to keep score. And this guy realizes actually, oh my goodness. I don't want to just win. That's a miserable business. The people in suits, it's a miserable business. And you notice the moments when actually matter is when they actually stop and realize, oh, actually, it's the fact that we've actually done this together as a, as a group, as a family almost, of the, of the law firm, that all of a sudden, it, it's the only moments that ever really gets meaningful. Because even the show about winning knows that winning is a miserable business if you've got no one to win for, no one to bless. So if you are working like that, just stop and think about your work. Whatever you're doing, call to mind the purpose of your work. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're lamenting a tough day or an unproductive day or a big setback. It's the opposite of a win, right? Have you had an unproductive day? Call to mind the people that you are blessing. Either by the work itself, like actually what the, work, the person the work's meant to help, or the ways that you will bless other people with the money that God may choose to continue to bless you with as the wage for your work. Call them to mind. Unmiserable your work by bringing to mind the blessing that you're actually trying to give with it. Hey, kids, if you're a parent, hey, kids, work was hard today. Work was miserable. But then I thought of you guys and that I'm working to bless you. And then after that work was different, I had a little bit of joy and I could get through it. Tell them about it. Hey, honey, uh, cleaning the house was hard today. <laughs> it, was, it was a miserable business. But then I thought of you and how you like the house being ordered. Makes you feel better about being there. And after I thought about that, it was different, cleaning the house. I had some joy, and I got through it. Or again, hey, mate, I, I've been meaning to call so we could catch up, but I've been so busy at work, and I haven't really seen anyone. Life's been a bit miserable. And then I was feeling so pathetic about how long it's been since I called you that then I didn't want to call you because of the shame of calling you, and I didn't even know if you'd want to hang out. So I didn't. And that was over a few months I kept on doing that, and... It was miserable trying to work up the courage to call you and feeling like an idiot and like a cad and like a bad friend. But now I'm talking to you. And it's worth it. Call to mind the purpose for the miserable hard work you're doing. Teacher keeps going. Uh, 9 to 12, he, he, he keeps going on the benefits of relationships. It's almost like he's like, okay, friendships, friendships, friendships. What's good about friendships? And just lists things off. Uh, two are better than one. They've got a good return for their labor. Yep, you know, just teamwork, you, you get more stuff done. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. This is great. You've got someone to help you. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Oh, yes, actually, we all know the sadness of aloneness. We want to avoid that. So this is strategic. Two lie down together, they'll keep warm. This is very strategic. Probably that doesn't just mean sort of like, you know, like, Lying, married people lying in a bed probably also means like a bloke lying next to his donkey traveling out on the road at night, like you're keeping warm. You know, you've got someone else with you to, to, to get through the journey. Even if it's a donkey, like it's, it's going to help. Though one may be overpowered, 
two can defend themselves. Quarter three strands is not quickly broken. It's nice. It's just warm and encouraging. It works. Don't all of you just want a best friend right now? Be a th- wouldn't you love to have a little trio, a cord of three strands? But the funny thing is, by the end of the chapter, he, well, I'm not here, but as he gets on, he ends up just saying, oh, yeah, that's all relatively good, but that's all just smoke. It's gone anyway. And I think, ah, oh, come on. It was so nice. I felt like I was like so on board with this. Yeah, I really need to catch up with my friends. It's good. He's like, yeah, no, but they'll, they'll pass away. They'll die. So will you. It's okay. Like, ah, oh, why, why do you keep doing this to me? 4, 13 to 16. This is what happens when you do try and build relationships and you try and please everyone. There's this good king. New king, not from royal stock. He's, he's a down and outer who's made good, you know. This bloke's done some crimes. He's done some time in prison. He's lived on the streets, but he becomes king. He makes good. And everyone loves this guy. They love the story. Everyone who walked under the sun follows this guy. He's influential. He's successful. All the other influencers, they want him on their podcast. There was no end to the number of people who'd come to see him. His followers were huge. And then, just like that, his heyday's over. Those who came later were not pleased with him. And he realises, actually, all that popularity that that guy had, that's all smoke too. Pleasing people, pleasing people's hard. You ever tried pleasing people? Are you always trying to please people? Pleasing people is like trying to hug a cloud, right? It sounds good. It seems like kind of a cool thing to do, but it doesn't work. You can't do it. See, you can't control whether you actually please someone or not. Have you worked that out yet? You don't have that power. In fact, they say you can't please everybody, but the thing is you actually can't please anybody. Not in a way you can guarantee. Not not as an objective, as as a hope, sure, but you can't make sure it happens. And if you get lucky and become the king of whatever castle you want, it'll only last a little while. So please hear God saying to you tonight, please don't be about pleasing anybody. Stop chasing that smoke. You look silly. It doesn't help you. And so with these different wise thoughts, but that at the end, half of them, you're like, oh, but that's just all smoke too and kind of confusing stuff. We end somewhere that feels a little bit more familiar in terms of the Bible. Chapter 5. And we start with the house of God. Feels more bible right? Go into the house of God, the great judge. And what's it like when you go there? What do you do? Now, I, I would, I'm, I've, been, I've done this thought experiment. I, I really wonder, what would it be like to meet a high court justice? Like, genuinely just love someone who you know is a thousand times smarter than you. Like, this is just... I, I've just been thinking about how would I react? I know how I'd hope I react, but how would I? See, I I hope that I wouldn't mention my two years of law at university. I hope I wouldn't mention it, right? Because, like, I really only did sort of, like, one year's worth of law because I only did, you know, half the number of subjects because I was doing other things as well. And and it it was really only a few subjects that I barely passed, right? So if I mentioned that, oh, yeah, I did a couple of years of law, you know, just... And then, like, I'm going to get found out. I'm going to look stupid. I'm like, I hope that I just spend time listening, 
but I can just, I don't know about you, but I can just see myself trying, just, just even if I manage to not mention that thing, but just trying to say one little tiny thing just so that it sounds like I kind of know what I'm talking about. Do you know what I mean? You just want to say something to let them know that you really get their world and that you understand. Just to gain a tiny touch of respect that I'm not a complete ignoramus. I think that's what I'd do. I hope that I wouldn't. I hope that I'd not even try. I'd, I hope that I'd just let her make up her own mind about me and just, just, just be whoever I was. But I think that I would be trying to gain. See, what if in my attempts to impress her, I said something really dumb that I couldn't back up? And I think this is the kind of thing that the teacher is trying to get us to stop doing with God in our prayers. We need to stop speaking sometimes. Rich coming from me, I totally know. Um, not because it's bad to speak, but because we're not speaking what's true. We're not speaking out of rest, out of that, that open hand, the one hand with rest, out of peace. When we speak to gain, to gain respect, to gain God's favour, to gain some kind of face, uh, often we lose that very thing that we try to gain, like if I tried that on with the, chief court, chief, um, the, the Supreme Court Justice. Have you ever desperately wanted to make a good impression so badly that you made a terrible impression? I do that all the time. When we speak to gain, we end up losing. It's grasping for wind. And so what happens then is we let our mouths, verse 6, we let our mouths actually lead us into even sin. And then we try and talk our way out of what our talk got us into. And what does that achieve? Well, nothing. Just angering God. Because he knows when it's all bluster anyway. You see, this, this passage is sort of reminiscent of those early verses where it was actually all words are meaningless. Words are chatter. Words are foolishness. And this is the, one of the messages of Ecclesiastes. God's in heaven, you're on earth. So let your words be few. Now, that's basically the end of our passage right tonight, with, with, with through. That, that, and that's, the, that's all the teacher's got. That's, that's the only tactic that the teacher knows for being with God, is like, don't speak to grasp for gain. That's not a good idea with God. Don't try and get yourself up a peg or two with him in the way you talk to him. Well, God, at least I did this, at least I did that, and at least I said sorry. And the teacher doesn't actually have anything good to do. He just knows what not to do. He just says, shut up. But there is a good speaking that the teacher didn't know about. There is a speaking out of rest. You see, the teacher doesn't know about this kind of speaking, the kind of speech where you're not constructing something. You know when people ask you a question and they're asking, you know, how's your week been or something like that? And in your mind, you're, you don't say how your week was. You're constructing, okay, so what's the social setting? So how long is the an answer is appropriate? And so, okay, should I say this? Oh, no, if I say that, it'll make me sound like I'm a complete lunatic. So okay, I won't say that one. But, oh, this is a social, oh, yes, this is a socially acceptable story that'll enable me to sort of say something that kind of makes sense and answers the question and, and I don't look like I really, you know, I'm going too deep because that'll make... The, that whole process that you're doing there, right? You can, we're constructing something in order to give an impression. We, that, is, that is talking to gain. We all do this. 
instead, we could actually just go to God and let God's impression of us just be whatever it happened to be. So if you think you're the exception to the rule and you don't do this, come and talk to me and we'll, we, we can talk about it. Because it's the person who thinks that they're exception to this rule who most likely isn't. We all do this. How do we stop letting our mouth lead us into sin? Well, there's only one way. Only gospel love can. You see, we say stupid things. Why do we say stupid things? This is, this is, this is mostly me, but I'm pretty sure there's all of us. We say stupid things because we want to be loved and accepted. I say stupid things because I really want to be loved and accepted. And if you, even if you don't know it, that's what you do. Now, here's the test. If you, think about this, if, if you knew, and I don't mean know in your head, I mean if you knew deep down in your bones, in your gut, that whatever was true about you, the person who you were with and were talking about it to, would not act shocked by it. They wouldn't leave. That whatever was just happened to, to, to be real about you that you don't want anyone to know about, they wouldn't condemn you for it. That they wouldn't try and control you and tell you what to, well, actually, you need to do this about that. They wouldn't laugh at you. Can you imagine if you knew deep in your gut that if you were just told them the truth, that they would look you in the eye with love, with real love for you? You and I would speak differently to that person than what we do, don't would we? We would. It'd be different. That is something that only Jesus can really do. See, he's the only one who knows you well enough to never be shocked by anything that you can say. He was, he's hung naked on a Roman cross for your sins because he wants to be with you and he didn't leave you then, and he didn't leave the cross then, and he's not going to leave you now if you're real with him. He was condemned for everything that you're really worried will actually get out into the public sphere about you, and you know you'll be condemned for. And he's not going to do that because he took the condemnation on himself. He doesn't need to control you. In fact, he's been letting you live your life with a really loose hand for quite a while now, yeah? And he won't shame you. He was made shameful for you. You see, Jesus is safe to be the real you with. Jesus will look at you in the eye with love, with real love for you. No matter what you let slip about what happened last week, and how stupid it made you look. See, with Jesus, you and I can speak differently. Because of his love, because of his guarantee of love, we can speak out of rest instead of speaking in order to gain. And actually, over time, it changes how you speak to everyone. I'm going to invite you now just to, to speak to Jesus with me just for a moment. And I'll leave a little bit of space for you to, in your heart, say things to him that you want to. And then I'll let you know when the time's over. Let's pray. God, the teacher kind of, like he gets so much. He's so insightful. But he's so insightful that he goes, goes around in circles and, and, and sees the holes even in his solutions to the holes of life. He sees the pain. 
and you made sure that it's in there so that you, in the Bible so that you'd know that we would know that you see the pain. Yet he doesn't have an answer to it. And Jesus does. Help us to see that as we keep going through Ecclesiastes. But Father, tonight, um, we, 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 I'm repenting of speaking for gain. I'm repenting of speaking foolish, silly words that make me seem better than I am. Even just for the mentality, God, of, of, of not, not, even, not even that of being dishonest, God, but, but just that mentality of, of trying to get something out of the words that I'm using. Father, we just want to thank you for Jesus, whose love is so real, whose love is so unconditional that we can let slip anything. And he's not going to leave. He's not going to shame us out. He's not going to condemn us. And he's not going to put out our light. But he'll be with us. And he'll love us. Thank you, Father, that you look down on us with the loving kindness of a doting father who desperately wants to hear our babyish language. Thank you for your smile just then on everything that we shared. Amen.